Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Langrant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me as always is Josh Dooley. Josh, how are you doing on this fine Monday evening? It is not yet March, but by the time this comes out, it will be. So I guess we could officially say this is March. Yeah, yeah, we are there, uh, ready to talk some basketball, some football recruiting, and I just want everyone, uh, all the listeners to know that Gene and I's talks have been much more productive than those of the baseball owners and players, so we're in a, we're in a good spot. I, I don't know what you're talking about, Josh, but by the time this has come out, baseball has, has certainly come to an agreement on their collective bargaining. The lockout is over, everything is great, I'm sure the talks on Monday finished out strong and everything, everyone came to an agreement, very happy, and I'm sure that the baseball world, myself included, who is... You know, my other job definitely depends on the baseball season. I'm sure all of that is going fantastic. Yeah, Gene, Gene's in a bad way, folks. Uh, he works for MLB Network, if you didn't already know. So uh, he's in on this stuff. We're both baseball fans. So we're just trying to find some more positive stuff to talk about. Absolutely. And there is definitely a lot of positives going on within the Ohio State program, both on the hardwood and on the football field. But we will start out first with a team that doesn't get a ton of love uh, around Buckeye Nation, a team we haven't talked about yet on this podcast, but one that definitely deserves the recognition. And that is the Ohio State women's basketball team, who, after defeating Michigan State on Sunday, earned a share of the regular season Big Ten title with a little help from the Iowa Hawkeyes defeating Michigan. So Ohio State and Iowa get a share of that Big Ten title. And Josh, this is not something that many saw coming going into the season. There was a lot of a lot of road bumps early on for this Buckeye team. Uh, they lost two starters to the transfer portal in the offseason in Dorka Juhaj and Aliyah Patty. However, they did add Oregon transfer Taylor Mikesell, who wound up playing a huge role for Ohio State this season. Um, and then even before the season, one day before the season started, actually, starting point guard Masson Green suffered a season-ending knee injury. Uh, Kateri Poole went down with an injury early in the season as well, forcing J.C. Sheldon to move from short guard, shooting guard to point guard. So a lot of early road bumps and tests for this Ohio State team, but they came out on top in the end, kind of surprised a lot of people, winning a share of the Big Ten title. So a really great effort from the Buckeye ladies uh, on the basketball court this season. Yeah, for sure. And uh, admittedly, I was a little bit late to the party. The Ohio State women's team has struggled the last couple of seasons. They had a postseason ban last year, obviously. So um, I don't know what the expectations were going in. And I probably picked them up mid to late season, uh, but started to read up on them, watch some things online, caught a couple of their games and a fun team to watch. You know, this is their first Big Ten title, at least share of it since 2018. They won 12 of their last 14 games, got really hot late. And I, I really liked watching that backcourt play. J.C. Sheldon and Taylor Mikesell, like you said, uh, Mikesell is from Massillon. I think, and she went to, started at Maryland, went to Oregon, transferred back home. Her and J.C. Sheldon, um, like 19 points a game each. J.C. Sheldon is a Columbus, Ohio native. She went to Dublin uh, here in Columbus, and she was a three-time Miss Basketball Ohio finalist, if I'm not mistaken. I did hear some some things about her, like as she chose Ohio State in her first couple of seasons, so they're fun to watch. And it was a good turnaround for coach Kevin McGuff. Like I said, they struggled those last couple of seasons, but um, it's really cool when both of the basketball teams are performing well. And this Ohio state women's basketball team has performed well in the past. They went back to back years, I think where they had at least a share of the regular season title. And then if I'm not mistaken, they won the tournament four or five years ago too. So um, just really cool stuff to see. Exciting that both of those teams, like I said, are going into March looking varying levels of good, which I know we'll get to. But kudos to the women's team, and hopefully they can make a, a big long run here in March. Yeah, like you said, Sheldon and Mike Zell really, really carried this team for much of the season. Sheldon averaged a team high 19.7 points per game, shooting over 51%. Mike Zell averaged 19.2 points per game and shot nearly 50% from three-point range. Just a great sharpshooter. But this, this team got contributions from all over the floor. They were really strong defensively as a unit. And now they're the number one seed going into the, the Big Ten Women's Tournament. They have a double bye to, to start things off, and then they will play the winner of Michigan State-Purdue. Uh, they'll play their game on Friday. Uh, they swept Michigan State in the regular season 2 and including the, the last game of the regular season, and they won their lone meeting against Purdue. So good results against the two teams that they could potentially face in the first round. Uh, the other top seeds in the women's bracket 
Iowa is number two, Michigan number three, and Maryland number four. Uh, Ohio State kind of struggled against some of the top teams in the conference this year. They went a combined two and three against those teams during the season. They got swept by Michigan in, in both of the games they played against them. They went one and one against Maryland, and they won their lone meeting at Iowa in a 92-88 thriller. So that that'll that tournament starts off this upcoming weekend. Uh, definitely check that out. And like you said, the kind of varying levels of success for the women's and men's team. Men's team is up and down. Women's kind of came on late in the season. But it should be an exciting tournament on the women's side of things. Kind of an open field, I would say. It's kind of up in the air who could win that one. But a lot of interesting teams at the top. A lot of really good players on each of those top teams. And it it should be an exciting tournament. Yeah, and, and Gene, I think it's funny. Do you know the women's basketball and the football tie-in? I do not. So there's a guard on Ohio State's women's team named Braxton Miller with an I. Uh, she's actually from Ohio. She's a, uh, went to Dayton, I believe, Arch, one of the Archbishop schools. She started her career at Oklahoma State, came back home. And so I thought that was just kind of a, a cool, kooky coincidence that Braxton Miller uh, the women's basketball player and then the football player sharing the the same name with a different spelling, but just sort of thought that was sort of a cool one-off. Yeah, what are the odds of that? Same school, obviously different sports, but a, a guy and a girl, both named Braxton Miller, obviously spelled different, but the, the odds of that, it's not like it's a common name. It's not like they're like John Smith and you know Jimmy something. <laughs> like it's The fact that there's two Braxton Millers in Ohio State sports is, is kind of wild, but yeah, Braxton was, was good for Ohio State this season. She was one of their better defensive players, and I know that she was a key contributor on this team, so much like the, maybe not the quarterback of the Ohio State basketball team, like, like Braxton was on Ohio State's football team, but she certainly, def, uh, she certainly played a role this year for the Buckeyes yeah for sure and like I said hopefully they can make a big long run you know I remember and and I'm going to age myself a little bit but when I was very young Katie Smith was around and Katie Smith is an Ohio State legend like that's that's probably her teams were the first women's basketball teams I ever watched because they were so good uh really as soon as she came to Ohio State as a freshman they made it to the NCAA title game. So I've followed the women's program on and off throughout the years, and it's really cool. It's been a while since they've had that deep of a run, but hopefully they can make one this year. Yeah, and another team just trying to you know get into get into a groove here and coming into March is the obviously the men's team. We talked about them a lot in our last episode. We had come on, we had talked before their game against Indiana, which they went on to win. And Josh, we kind of expected them to go two and one against the trio of Indiana, Illinois, and Maryland. But I don't think they they uh, they accomplished the two and one that we exactly expected. Uh, they did defeat Indiana, eighty to sixty nine. Uh, then they went on the road and upset Illinois, eighty-six to eighty-three, in, in a great game. Ohio State had a had a big lead, nearly threw it away at the end, but came out on top, thanks largely to Malachi Branham, who we'll talk about in a second. But then the following game, they got upset on the road by Maryland, seventy-five sixty, and what was a pretty bad loss for Ohio State, to be honest. Obviously, Maryland's been playing a lot better as of late, but. Ohio State, you know, somewhat somewhat expectedly has it looked a little tired in that game. Obviously, they have this big stretch here at the end of the year where they have a lot of games in, in not as many days, but kind of a, a lackluster performance across the board for Ohio State in that game. But they come out of that stretch 2-1, and one, uh, and now they're going to end the season with th- three straight home games against Nebraska, Michigan State, and Michigan. And I would say the Nebraska game is, is a must-win with how bad they've been this year. And then Michigan State and Michigan are both winnable games, but not easy by any stretch. But an interesting three-game stretch for Ohio State in these last three, kind of a microcosm of their whole season where you just really don't know which Ohio State team you're getting on any given day. They could upset a team like Illinois on the road, and then they could they could lose a pretty bad one to Maryland. So it's kind of kind of the story of the year for Ohio State. Yeah, it's inconsistency, and it's that lack of a third and or fourth score. We saw that especially against Maryland with EJ and Malachi not having great games. No one else really stepped up. I mean, Kyle Young played well. He's had a good stretch. But he's not your 15 to 20 point scorer when your other guys are down. So you live with the two and one result, I think. But after the first two games in that stretch, the Indiana and Illinois game, the Maryland game was very disappointing. I would think that or I would say that it is probably one of their worst losses of the season. And I would say it's their worst loss since the first Indiana game. They kind of got blown out on the road by 15 or 16 points. Maryland has been sort of scrappy as of late, but they were 13 and 15 entering the game. And I I thought that the Buckeyes were going to ride the momentum from Indiana and Illinois. And if I had to predict, I would have predicted that Ohio State probably runs away with that game yesterday, probably by 15 or 20 points, just based on how well they had been playing. But 
the fatigue is probably catching up to them a little bit. They've had a condensed schedule with some of their canceled games, but that can't really be an excuse. Other teams in the conference have had the same sort of condensed schedule and you need to handle business, especially against a lesser team like Maryland. So disappointing result, but I, I, I could see them going three and zero in their last three games. They need other scores to step up and I'd really like to see them get at least two out of three of these games. I'd, I'd love if they got all three, but two two more wins would give them 20 on the season, which has been sort of the Chris Holtman staple. So I'd like to see them get to 20. Uh, they should definitely beat Nebraska. Michigan State, gosh, they were losing everything there for a stretch, but they turned it around in their last game, and Michigan might be sort of a toss-up, even though they're without their coach. So a lot left to be determined, but – now, I don't know. What did you see in that Maryland game that it was kind of disappointing to you? Or did you maybe have a sense that it was coming due to the schedule in so many games in such a short period of time? I mean, it, it, even at halftime of the Maryland game, I thought Ohio State still had a chance to win. It seemed like, you know, Maryland was was really hot, especially from three in that in that first half. And they, they were just hitting everything. And, you know, it, it just looked like a couple of bounces here and there. And Ohio State could could come out on top in that game. But the second half, it really just looked like Ohio State was, was dragging. It was, it was a game that was grinding out. Uh, Fats Russell played out of his mind. He finished with a game-high 27 points. Uh, he hit 6 of 10 from three-point land. He was just on fire. Eric Ayala also played really well, scored 23 points. OSU really had... No answer for those guys. So I think it really showed. Uh, while, while the defense wasn't great, I thought it really showed on the offensive side of the floor where, you know, Branham and Liddell combined for just 24 points, which on any given night isn't going to get it done. I did want to talk about, though, overall Malachi Branham because on our last episode, we talked about how we really needed EJ Liddell to get some help. Uh, and, and Malachi Branham, before this last game, uh, certainly stepped up to the plate uh, against Indiana and Illinois. Uh, got himself into the NBA draft conversation with some really outstanding performances against those two teams. He had 27 points on 9 of 13 shooting against Indiana and then was crucial to the uh, to the win over Illinois with 31 points on 10 of 14 shooting. Uh, I mean, he really took over in the second half of that Illinois game, kept Ohio State afloat when it looked like things were going to slip away. He has been sensational. He won Big Ten Freshman of the Week for his efforts. Uh, he's taken a ton of that pressure off Liddell's shoulders, who's been seemingly battle through, battling through sickness, which has limited his play a little bit. Um, but yeah, Branham's been really really good and even you know even though he didn't shoot as well against Maryland he was their their leading scorer with 13 points which isn't what you want to see your leading score with 13 points but he still was their leading scorer he's been playing really really well um it's gonna be interesting to see how the rest of his season plays out and what his you know NBA draft prospects look like there's a chance he could be a one-and-done player which Ohio State doesn't see all that often there's a chance he could play into the that kind of EJ Liddell role where you get that second round hype in, in your in that first year and then the second year you're kind of more in the in the first round like Liddell is now so I'm interested to see what happens with him but I am I am glad to see I think Malachi Branham listened to our podcast last week and, and saw that he needed to be the guy that that stepped up for Ohio State and became that true number two scorer. Yeah, for sure. And he was really good against Indiana in the second half, too. It seems like they went to him ad nauseum, just possession after possession, give it to Malachi, let him create. I think that he and EJ Liddell have both been hurt recently by the lack of a like really, really strong distributor at point guard. I think that Jawar Wheeler has been really good this season, and his shooting has been surprisingly good. He has had a couple of games where, you know, Jamari is lights out from three going, you know, three for five, four for six, something like that. But he's not a top end, like super high level point guard. And so recently teams have just been so focused on EJ, especially, but also Malachi Branham. And they're having to work so, so hard for their shots. And you know, I, I don't know how to change that now. Both of those guys are very good individually and they can get their own buckets. But when they're fatigued or they're catching tons of heat from the opposing defense, it just makes life so much more difficult for them. And they don't get a lot of like drive and kick looks, right? Malachi Branham especially is a, a solid outside shooter, but I think he is lethal in the mid range and he can drive pretty well too. We can get to the bucket, but when defenses are kind of shutting you off and keeping you out of the lane, you need some of those spot up shots and he's just not getting those. Same thing goes for EJ who is hot and cold from three point land, but he's doing a lot of his own things and getting a lot of his own offense. So 
it, it's hard to not have that just stellar creator out there. And so they're just, they're forced to do these things on their own. And I also think that Zed Key has certainly been struggling recently. Some of it's been foul trouble, but he just hasn't been as good around the bucket. He hasn't been scoring a lot lately. So Kyle Young has certainly stepped up his game. So if you look at them as a tandem, they've been fine, but I think they need Zed to turn it around too. After a couple of poor games, I'd like to see him have a good one against maybe an inferior opponent like Nebraska or maybe against Michigan State, get some momentum going into the postseason because they're going to need more than two and a half or three guys to score for them. It's what exactly what we saw against Maryland. We saw it in some of their other losses. You can't just count on those two guys. So they need a third and a fourth guy. Maybe, uh, you know, Amici or something can get hot. Maybe Justin Arns comes back from the dead. I'm still holding out hope for him. So it'll be interesting. But it's like we said in a previous pod, this isn't a great team. It is a good team and people need to level set their expectations. I'm not saying losing to Maryland should be an acceptable result, but without Justice Suing and a guy like Seth Towns, who are spacers and you know, Justice Suing is certainly a creator. They've got some role players around their two stars now. So they're really going to need to step it up. Those other guys for Ohio State to have any measure of postseason success, in my opinion. Yeah, I think they have a big floor spacing issue. Like you said, you know, Liddell and Branham are both really good in the mid-range and inside. And both of them can shoot from deep, but it's not where where they prefer to shoot. Uh, You know, obviously not having the full extent of Justin Ahrens, Cedric Russell being kind of hit or miss, uh, Michi Johnson not really being a great shooter this year uh, has really hurt them. And they don't have that, you know, like you said, they can't really drive and kick and teams could kind of just crash the paint and and Ohio State can't really do much. You know, against Maryland, Ohio State was 8 of 28 from three-point range. That that isn't good. They they shot just 36% from the field overall. So it seems like teams are just looking to clog the paint against Ohio State. And when you don't have a ton of guys that could stand out the arc and hit their shot, uh, it, that's that's what you could do. You just keep everyone inside the arc. You don't really have to worry about Ohio State shooting the ball. Uh, and I don't really know what Ohio State has to do about that, except for ask for more from some of these guys. You know, Cedric Russell has to be more consistent. I think Jermar Wheeler has to look for his shot a bit more. You know, I, I would love to get something out of Justin Owens this year. I don't know how much time he has he has left to, to get that going, but like you said, you know, it could happen at any time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. They got they have two scores that both like to score inside, and not much else. I do want to give a huge shout out to Kyle Young for. Almost, almost single-handedly neutralizing Kofi Coburn in that game against Illinois, forcing him to run all around on the defensive end, really tiring him out, really frustrating him, getting him, helping him to get a foul out. So Kyle Young played a, a huge role in that game. He has been playing a lot better lately. He's another guy who could shoot a little bit from deep, but definitely doesn't prefer to, and definitely scores inside. And like you said, Zed Key has been in a ton of foul trouble, and he's he's not useful outside of much of around the basket. So not a lot of shooters on this team. It's tough to space the floor, but nonetheless, I mean. Ohio State's currently in possession of the number four seed in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, if they could hold that, they're looking at a double bye. They have three certainly winnable games coming here down the stretch. Um, and, and like you touched on, you know this this podcast will come out after that Nebraska game. But I'd imagine Ohio State could win that one. That would be a huge get right game for them if they're able to you know come away with that one with a, a convincing win. And then the Michigan State Michigan games both are kind of toss ups. Michigan State has been. Uh, average at best, I would say, this year. And Michigan is without their head coach, and Ohio State already beat them on the road, and now they get them in Columbus. So a 3-0 finish for Ohio State would be great, but it kind of I never really know what to expect going into a game with Ohio State. Sometimes they come out with their hair on fire, and sometimes they come out and they look like they're half asleep. So it's kind of just a, a Jekyll and Hyde kind of situation here where it's a, a tale of two teams, and hopefully Ohio State gets the gets the, the good team rolling here at the end of the end of the season as we get into March and the Big Ten tournament and all that stuff. But they're, they're going to need more from these guys you know we talked about needing a second score well now they need a third because they're but their two scores are like to score in similar ways and teams are are keying onto that quickly yeah two things I, I hate to keep beating a dead horse but I think about Dwayne Washington's role last year that outside creator uh, getting his own offense and his own buckets I I guess you could say he was he is sort of similar to Malachi Branham but he had the three-point shot, and there were games where he would take eight, nine, ten threes, and maybe he was hot, maybe he was cold, but he was always a threat, and that's what they're really missing. Malachi Branham is a different sort of threat, and when they gum it up in the middle, that's obviously where he has been struggling, but I also wanted to ask you a question. Which scenario would surprise you more? Ohio State loses their first game 
in the Big Ten tournament or they win the Big Ten tournament? Because I could see either one happening, just the, the ebbs and flows of this team. But which scenario would surprise you most? It, it is tough to say because, like, you know, the Big Ten's a very tough and, and deep conference. But at the same time, Ohio State has played well against the better teams in this conference. They've beaten Illinois. They, they lost on a buzzer beater to Purdue. They beat Michigan. You know, the top teams, you know, Rutgers outstanding when, when you know, they, they do what they do. But at the end of the day, you know, it seems like pretty much anyone other than Nebraska could win the Big Ten. So I wouldn't be totally surprised if Ohio State could kind of heat up here and go on a run and win the conference. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they, they suffered a first-round exit to a team that they probably should beat if they're, if they're on a cold shooting stretch. So I don't really know which would be more surprising. I think I would say probably a first-round exit would be more surprising just because I think that they are, you know, they're better than that. I think they, you know, they could find it in themselves to win that one game, even if they have to really grind it out and it's an ugly win. I think they could get it done. But yeah, I mean, the Big Ten is is kind of wide open in my mind. I think Purdue would be the obvious favorite here, but I don't know. It, it's, it is a, it's a weird conference. Teams seem to beat each other up all the time. Uh, and I, I don't really know. Like I said, it, it kind of all comes down to which Ohio State team you're getting. And it's it's all it's been a very inconsistent season, a very up and down roller coaster type of year for the Buckeyes. And I don't I don't foresee that ending just because the postseason comes around. Yeah, I, I I'm going to differ from you on this one. I would be more surprised if they win the tournament. Not saying that they can't. I certainly think that they could, but we haven't seen them consistently put together three or four great games in a row they can beat those bet those uh those better teams in the conference as a one-off but i don't know if they could put it back to back to back against like a rutgers michigan state illinois or a you know i don't even know like a michigan state illinois purdue i don't know what the the bracket will look like obviously but I just I, I lack some faith that they can do it in back to back to back games. And that's sort of where I'm, I'm at going into the big tournament, too. I think that Ohio State, I think Chris Holtman really needs to get a win or two. And I think that the Ohio State needs to look good in the conference tournament. I'm not down on Chris Holtman. I've defended him sort of to the ends of the earth. But to lose a game like they did at Maryland and if they limp through the postseason again, then I think the heat is only going to be ratcheted up fairly or unfairly because this team has not been super successful in the postseason. And I think they really need to change that narrative this year. And I hope that they do. Yeah, it would be nice to see. Uh, but now that we've uh, now that we've touched on the, the current sports going on at Ohio State, we will touch on the sports that are coming up in, in the somewhat near future now that we get into March. You know, the football team will not be far away from us for that much longer. The spring game is in April, and obviously we have a ton of recruiting stuff going on. So Josh and I are going to kind of do a little bit of a recruiting roundup here going through the 2023 class, uh, the guys currently involved, but more so the guys that Ohio State is pursuing, guys that are on the radar, guys that have been you know, predicted to land at Ohio State, things of that nature. So we're going to start here just looking at the current group that Ohio State has. Uh, they currently have the number seven class in the country with only five commits thus far. That group is led by offensive tackle Luke Montgomery, uh, who just recently committed. He's the number four offensive tackle in the country, the number 49 player overall. He is one of three Ohio guys currently in the class, joining four-star offensive lineman Josh Padilla and three-star defensive lineman Will Smith, who is obviously a, a legacy recruit. Uh, the group also includes four-star tight end Ty Lockwood from Tennessee and four-star safety Cedric Hawkins out of Florida. So, Josh, before we really get into and get into the gritty nitty-gritty here of some of these other guys Ohio State's looking at, what do you think of Ohio State's current class? I think some people might be a little bit concerned that there's only five guys at this stage in the game. Obviously, we are still a full year away from the uh, national signing day for this class. They also had uh, a five-star in this class in, in Sonny Styles, who then reclassified to 2022. So it's not like they lost him. They still have him, and they're actually getting him a year earlier, but it does hurt the recruiting class a bit in in that regard, not having a five-star yet committed. So what do you think of Ohio State's current group they have in the fold thus far? I'm not concerned that it has five commits. I think that with the coaching turnover, this was always going to be a slow build, and I think they've got some good momentum going. But with those five guys, I think they actually have two building blocks in the class uh, at two positions, I should say. Tight end is a position of need. So they went out and they got Ty Lockwood. He's a four-star tight end, 6'5", 225. Seems like he can do a little bit of everything. I think he's known a little bit more as a blocker, but decent hands and, like I said, position of need. So I think it was good to get at least one in the fold. And then you look at the offensive line with Padilla and Montgomery. 
one interior, one on the outside. So I think that positionally they have two building blocks. They went out and they got after positions of need. They've got guys all up front. And then I, I think that Cedric Hawkins and Will Smith, I don't want to like, I don't want to come. I don't want it to come across the wrong way. I think that those are bonus guys, not that they're throw-ins by any means, but I think that Will Smith Jr. has a ton of potential to grow and develop from a three-star. And then Cedric Hawkins, his commitment kind of came out of nowhere. And I think he'll be another late riser. So I look at those guys as bonuses. Again, not throw-ins, but you know, a three-star guy who might be under the radar and then a safety in Hawkins who kind of came out of nowhere. So I, I'm happy with this five-player group right now, and I think you'll start to see the momentum build and build and build. But if I'm excited about one area, it would be the offensive line right now, again, because they got the interior guy and Luke Montgomery on the outside. I think that's a really good start to another position of need an offensive line that wasn't great last year. We're hoping it gets better this year. And then bringing in some high caliber guys the season after that, I think they're heading in the right direction. Yeah, I think that's a couple of good points. Obviously, with a lot of coaching turnover, you're going to have to kind of start new relationships with some guys you're in on, especially on the defensive side of the ball where almost your entire staff is new. Um, And then, like you said, a a good job of addressing their needs early on here. They're going to need tight ends. They're going to need offensive linemen. Both of those rooms are pretty barren right now outside. You know, offensive line is strong at the top, but, but not a lot in terms of depth. And then obviously their tight end room is kind of barren right now after after uh, Jeremy Ruckert going off to the league. So good job getting those guys. And, and like Ryan Day likes to do, Ohio State generally tends to build these classes from the inside out, uh, starting with a lot of these in-state guys. So already having three guys in the fold from the state of Ohio is obviously good in that regard. And I think that we, uh, as a podcast, should should build our recruiting podcast here the same and start with the in-state guys and then kind of bridge our way out. Um, so in that regard, um, Ohio State currently has two of the top three players in Ohio, according to the 247 Sports Composite. Um, all of my ratings I'm using are going to be uh, based on the 247 Sports Composite. Uh, Montgomery is the number one player in Ohio, and Padilla is number three. Uh, the number two guy was defensive lineman Brennan Vernon, who is committed to Notre Dame. But that number four guy is still up for grabs, and that is safety Malik Hartford, uh, who seems like a guy Ohio State's very, very interested in and has really ratcheted up with as of late. He is a four-star safety out of Lakota West High School from Westchester, Ohio. He's an number 167 player overall in the country and the number 17 safety listed at six for three, 175. The Ohio state offer to him actually only came in at the end of January, uh, but he's got 23 offers overall from, you know, schools like Cincy, Michigan, Michigan state, Notre Dame, Tennessee, and a bunch of others. Um, and it, it seems like he's more of a late riser as well. You know, obviously if Ohio state's only offering an in-state kid this late in the process, they clearly wanted to see more from him as he played more of his high school ball. And I think they have to this point, uh, just last week, our own, uh, Caleb Hauser, who writes recruiting stuff for us at land grant Holland predicted Hartford as, as the next in-state commit for Ohio state. Uh, and like I said, he's a guy whose recruitment's blown up as of late, could be a late bloomer type. And, you know, obviously with Jim Knowles coming in, who's a very safety-heavy system, having safeties like Malik Hartford as well as Cedric Hawkins are definitely going to be important moving forward. So I think a guy like Malik Hartford is certainly a name to watch out for here in the next coming months. I like Hartford a lot, and that's primarily due to his size. It's 6'3", 175. Uh, if he put on a couple more pounds, 10, 15 pounds, and you're talking about a guy who's 6'3", nearing 200 pounds, I think that he could be a very versatile safety. We know that Jim Knowles is probably going to have three of those safety types on the field at any given time. And so given Hartford's size, I think he can move around and play some different positions. You know, you mentioned he's an in-state guy. He's from the Cincinnati area, and I'm not sure, but I would have to imagine that Perry Eliano was familiar with him from his time at Cincinnati. So maybe the late offer... It goes hand in hand with Eliano's hiring uh, and new job at Ohio State. So clearly he liked what he saw, whether that was recently or going back. I don't know how involved Eliano was in his process early on, but he's clearly entrenched now. Um, And he played in high school with Tegra Shabola and Jair Brown. So there's some familiarity there. And he knows some guys currently at the program, which I think will work in Ohio State's favor. So I think he could be a really good addition to this, what we hope is very versatile safety room. Yeah, and I, and I think having a guy like Perry Eliano in there with a proven track record of, of you know defensive back 
uh, development certainly helps to have, you know, when, when you're in a system like Jim Knowles that has those three safeties on the field. So, you know, it's a, it's a really good combo for Ohio State coaching-wise to have a safety-heavy defensive coordinator to go along with a, a guy coaching the safeties who is a very good defensive back development. Obviously, you know, Sauce Gardner uh, at, at Cincinnati, one of the best corners in the country. And I know I, I think Eliano's going to have a bit of a hands-on in both the corners and the safeties, but he is officially the safeties coach. So I think having him back there was certainly helping a lot of these guys' recruitments. Uh, the other guy from Ohio I had on my list here is Austin Cervelb. Uh He's the number seven player in Ohio, number 23 interior offensive lineman. So Ohio State going in really heavy on these offensive linemen. Listed at 6'5", 315, so already has pretty good size. Uh, hails out of Lakota East from Middletown, Ohio. Um, and despite being only like the number 345 overall player, he does have an offer from Alabama. He's got 16 total offers, uh, including many of the same as Hartford, you know, Cincinnati, Iowa, Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State, teams like that. Uh, Ohio State earned a crystal ball for Cervelle back in November uh, from national recruiting analyst Alan True. He included Ohio State in his top schools recently, and I, I think he's definitely another name to look out for as Ohio State fills out its offensive line. He's a guy that seems uh, very interested in Ohio State. There seems to be a lot of mutual interest there, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him land in the class as well as another Ohio native. I haven't done a ton of homework on Cervelle, but you mentioned he's from the Cincinnati area, so another local-ish pro- uh, prospect, obviously, which were the which was the first group that you brought up looking at his sort of body makeup and his size, he's already six, five, three fifteen. So to me, that says probably interior, put a couple more pounds on him. He could be a guard type. I don't know what he plays in high school. Like I said, I haven't done a ton of homework on him, but you mentioned it. Some of the other schools that have made him an offer so far, the big one being Alabama, Iowa. I mean, they know what to do with their offensive linemen, clearly Michigan, Notre Dame. So despite being in the 300s, a lot of big schools are after him. They clearly see his potential. So I would be fully on board with bringing Cervelle in and to continue building up that Cincinnati pipeline, I think is only a good thing because there's a lot of good football down there. Yeah, for sure. And I think those are two of really my main guys to look out for in Ohio in this class. I did also have uh, Anthony Brown written down. He was formerly committed to Minnesota, but he decommitted. He's kind of a lower rated wide receiver, still a four star recruit, but the number 38 wide receiver in the class, number 287 overall. Um, I'm interested to see what the interest will be there. He is from Springfield, Ohio, uh, number five overall in the state. Um, I'll be interested to see what the interest is there between Ohio State and uh, and Brown. I know Brian Hartline likes to go after those five star guys at that position, and I know we're going to get a few of them in a minute. But you also, you know, you can't just build an entire roster out of five stars. You do need to get guys um, across the board. And you know, some of these guys do wind up being really, really good players at the next level. Uh, he's a bit of a smaller guy, 5'10", 170, so probably more of a slot receiver at the next level. But I think in terms of in-state guys, he's probably another name to look out for. And those are really my my three main Ohio guys. Did you have any other players to look at in, inside state borders, Josh? No, I didn't. But now that you brought up Brown, you know, it. if Brian Hartline makes a move and makes an effort to bring this guy in, then it goes back to what we've talked about in the past. We have all the faith in the world in Brian Hartline. So I, I'm sort of intrigued by the size. Actually, you know, at 5'10", 170, he is a little bit smaller, but... Ohio State has a variety of different wide receivers, right? Even look at the top two or three coming back this year. JSN is not a huge receiver by any means. And then you've got a guy like Marvin Harrison on the outside who's 6'3", 6'4", can jump out of the gym, things like that. So I think you need variety. And if Ohio State makes a a hard press for this guy, then I'm going to have faith that he can come in and do some things. Yeah, absolutely. I almost just took a sip from my candle rather than my my cup, so that's where I am at mentally. Uh, there but you at, go. But as we move on here, I want to talk about some guys who have uh, my next section here in the in the recruiting uh, side of things is decommitments from elsewhere and guys that are now you know kind of on the board again for Ohio State after leaving other schools. You know, I mentioned Brown decommitting from Minnesota, but a guy that's gotten a lot of a lot of hype around Ohio State circles recently has been cornerback Kayan Lee. Uh, he's a four star corner out of Georgia. He just recently decommitted from Georgia in, within the last two weeks. He's the number 17 corner in the class, number 144 player overall. Ohio State finished as as probably the runner-up to the Bulldogs during his original commitment. Uh, He's been in contact a ton with Tim Walton since his decommitment from Georgia. He's got plans to visit Ohio State. Uh, And OSU insider Bill Kerlick said if he had to predict right now, he thinks Lee will end up choosing the Buckeyes. So potential corner to look out for more on national scale. A guy who was previously a Georgia commit and and decided to, to opt out of that. 
and is now back on the market. Uh, seems to be a lot of mutual interest between the two parties. So I think that Kay and Lee is a very real possibility for the Buckeyes here after after leaving potentially his home state and his home school to go elsewhere. Yeah, I'll be interested in Lee because um, Georgia seemed like they had their claws in him, right? And he's a Georgia guy. So I hadn't followed his recruitment a ton early on, but now that he's back on the market, my only concern is maybe the size. He's 5'11", 160 right now. Probably needs to add a couple of pounds, but Ohio State needs to continue to bring in corners. I think they had a really good class last year. I think this year is clearly TBD, but it wasn't of the same ilk that it was uh, the year prior. So they need to build this thing back up. And, you know, we, we talked about Tim Walton and Perry Eliano, and I, I kind of wondered aloud, would they be able to recruit at an Ohio State level? But the one thing I think you do have to say about them is they've got a proven track record. Eliano was at some lower schools, but you look at what he did at Cincinnati with Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant. The proof is in the pudding there. And Tim Walton has all this NFL experience. So if they've identified those guys or one of them has, then clearly Kylie has some talent. You know, Georgia wanted him for a reason. So that could be a good add if that ends up coming to fruition for the Buckeyes. Yeah, and, and as we've talked about prior with some of those question marks around these new coaches recruiting, just walking into a school with that uh, that block on your chest says a lot, and I think it helps out a lot in the recruiting process. And, you know, obviously you need the track record yourself as a coach, but being at a place like Ohio State, a, a place that, you know, is synonymous with being at the upper echelon of the college level, especially at some of these key positions, uh, it certainly helps out a bunch, even if you're not the, the best recruiter in the world. I think that gives you kind of a leg up on a lot of other, other schools. But speaking out about another coach that we definitely know the track record of and is well established. Uh, back to Brian Hartline here with the other decommitment from elsewhere, and that's going to be five-star wide receiver Brandon Innes, the number one wide receiver in the class, number nine player overall, would be a big fish to reel in for Ohio State. Uh, Hales out of Florida, was originally committed to Oklahoma before Lincoln Riley left. He decommitted in November, and obviously there is a chance he follows Lincoln Riley to USC, but he also seems high on Ohio State and Alabama as well. I would put those as his top three right now. We know Hartline's re- record of landing number one overall wide receivers. He camped at Ohio State last June, Innes uh, I'm talking about, uh, and he's surely seen the success wide receivers have had at Ohio State under Brian Hartline. Uh, but I am I am far less confident in Innes uh, making his way to Ohio State than I am Lee. Um, if I had to guess, he will probably follow Lincoln Riley to USC, but I don't think that is set in stone yet. I'm sure that Innes will make his way to Columbus before he makes his final decision. So I think there's a legitimate chance here, but I'm certainly not uh, holding my breath on Innes. But obviously, Ohio State would love to have another number one overall wide receiver to add to their just ridiculous stack of talent in that room. I'm with you on this one. I do think that Innes is a bit more of a long shot. I broke my guys down by like long shots and then more what I would consider attainable targets. But I definitely did my homework on Innis. Really good tape. Um, recruiting experts love his route running and his like aggression, attacking the ball, right? Attacking the catch point. So, and he also, he's been active on social media, sort of back and forth with another wide receiver that I think we'll talk about, Carnell Tate. If Brian Hartline is able to go out there and do it again, Maybe he brings in Ennis and Tate as a tandem. That's probably a pie in the sky sort of thing right now. But if he's able to go out and get another number one wide receiver, another number one receiver in the class, then I think we need to start talking statue. Whether they all pan out or not, he is on, Brian Harline is on such a heater right now. And Ennis would be a huge get because I think a lot of people – have this assumption that he's a Lincoln Riley guy. You know, he committed to Oklahoma. Now he has USC at the top of his list. If you're able to go and get that guy and reel him up to Ohio, I think that's just, it's another impressive job on the recruiting trail by Brian Hartline. But I do think he's a long shot, but who knows? Maybe he's got that really good relationship with Carnell Tate that I talked about, and maybe they want to get together and play at Ohio State, play at the same school. So that would be huge. Not that we're hurting for talent in the wide receiver room, and we'll talk about some other guys, but Ennis can ball out, man. He is a really, really good wide receiver. So if we could go and get him, that would be just another feather in the cap of Brian Hartline and really, really impressive. 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up Tate because he is the next guy on my list as I as I move into the section of five-star prospects. Ohio State is still in the mix for, like you said, another five-star wide receiver. He is the number three receiver in the class, number 21 overall player out of Florida. He plays his high school ball at IMG Academy, which you all know is a very, very good prep school for football. Got 37 offers to his name, including all the heavy hitters, you know, Bama, Georgia, LSU, Texas, you name it. Uh, he has an OSU visit scheduled for the beginning of April. Uh, he's, const- he's one of these guys that's constantly teasing on social media. He's done a lot with Ohio state stuff on on social media all over the place on twitter and instagram and stuff kind of teasing the little uh the, the nut emoji that people use for ohio state um his his most recent crystal ball is in favor of ohio state from steve wolfong himself the director of recruiting at 247 sports but it was all the way back in june of last year so obviously things could have changed since then but that, that is worth mentioning uh, obviously, the Brian Hartline factor comes into play once again. I'm personally much more confident in Tate than I am Innis, but I would certainly not say he's a lock. Uh, and for what it's worth, the on three prediction machine gives OSU a 96.2% chance to land Tate. So I don't know the accuracy on that. doesn't quite have the same juice as a 247 sports crystal ball as more of the, the new kid on the block recruiting site. But it's something that is worth mentioning. I mean, they seem to be pretty confident Tate landing at Ohio State. I'm much more confident than him than a lot of these other guys that I've mentioned before, but maybe not the in-state guys. But the other five stars we're going to talk about, I'm 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 not going to say I'm pretty confident Tate, but I'm certainly I lean more in his direction than some of the other guys on the list. And you mentioned his visit coming up in April. He will be here the same weekend as Brandon Innes, so they will be around each other yet again. And I like what Tate brings to the field. He's not like a four three eight guy. He's not built like a DK Metcalf. But he's a really, really good combination of that. He's already 6'2". He's not as thick as Marvin Harrison, but I kind of started to draw that comparison. Maybe he can be a Marvin Harrison type. Um, But it it seems like right now it's probably, if you believe the experts and what they kind of where they're at now, it's coming down to maybe Ohio State, Notre Dame, which is going to be a battle. Notre Dame has some really good momentum right now with Marcus Freeman and all those guys. So it'll be interesting, but I'm excited about Tate because like I said, he brings a little bit of everything to the field, good size. He can go up and get the ball, get jump balls, things like that. So I was reading a scouting report um, and I, I don't have the guy's name. I wish that I did so I could give him credit, but he was talking about his ability to create separation at the line of scrimmage. So that speaks to physicality for me. And that's just another reason that I sort of comped him to Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a big outside wide receiver. So if Carnell Tate can kind of build his body up in the same way, you could have a couple of big guys out there who like to go and high point the ball and catch the ball in traffic. So Tate would be a great add, and it definitely seems like he's a very realistic one at this point. Yeah, he's a guy who reminds me not so much in build, but in terms of play style as like a Garrett Wilson, where they're they're not predicated on their speed, but more their ability to, to run routes and create that separation, get open all the time. I think he's that type of wide receiver. Like you said, he's not a he's not a guy that's going to be a Jamison Williams type burner down the field, but he's very good at his position. He's got strong hands. He's he's good at getting away from opposing DBs. So definitely a guy Ohio State would love to have on their roster, uh, especially as a, as a five-star prospect. Uh, next five-star on my list I have here is Richard Young. Uh, he's been Ohio State's top running back target in 2023 pretty much since the beginning Uh, another five-star out of Florida the number one running back in the class number 18 overall Uh, a tremendous talent that Tony Alford and the Buckeyes have made a huge priority since the beginning uh, much more quiet prospect than the Innes and Tates of the world, I would say. He's really hard to get a read on. He's not he's not one of these guys that's teasing on social media. He's kind of keeping things closer to the vest. Uh, when asked about you know which schools he's looking to visit, he did say Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and maybe Oregon. He has been to Ohio State multiple times already. And I don't know, I could see this one going either way. Obviously, Ohio State has a, a ton of eggs in the Richard Young basket in terms of running back. I don't think they're they're necessarily hurting in this year with, with Trayvon Henderson only going into his second season. But obviously, you'd like to have his his predecessor waiting in the wings and another five-star talent behind him would certainly help out. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe maybe he's waiting to see what, what happens with Ohio State this year. Maybe an improved running game under Justin Fry will help their case in that regard. But Richard Young is definitely a name that Ohio State recruiting fans and people that follow Ohio State has have heard before because he has been that top priority running back ever since this cycle got going. It seems like he is everyone's top priority running back. I mean, he's got like 150 offers. It's something ridiculous, but he's a really, really talented player. He's listed at 5'11", 200 pounds. He looks bigger. He looks thicker than that. He definitely brings some physicality to the field. So I like what I've seen from him. 
he seemed like kind of a, a one cut and go sort of running back. And I like that when I was reading up on him in high school, he has played out of the single back, the shotgun, the pistol formation, like you name it. His high school team likes to mix it up. And we've seen Ohio State do that, too. They don't line up in a traditional eye. They don't give you one look. Uh, a lot of shotgun, obviously. But the fact that he's been in some different looking offenses, I think, speaks well to his sort of versatility. They've mentioned him as an adequate to above average pass catcher. So that's something that I think you and I have both talked about wanting to see more from Ohio State running backs. He would be a huge get. He's been to Ohio State a number of times. He did a two-day camp last year. I don't know if he's been a number of times. I do know that he did the two-day camp last year. He's spoken very highly of Tony Alford, who has done a great job in his own right on the recruiting trail. So I have not seen any or many other running back names come out so far from the 2023 class that Ohio State is really dialed in on. It's like you said, they've got a lot of eggs in the Richard Young basket, but it seems like they've got a a fair enough chance at this point. So I would love for them to go out and get another number one running back um, you know, to bring him in the following season, you've got this pipeline right now. Travion Henderson's not going anywhere. They've got Dallin Hayden. They've got Evan Pryor, who's yet to see the field. So again, another room with a lot of talent, but behind Henderson, I would say pedigree wise, Richard Young is the next most talented possibility for this Ohio State running back room. Yeah, and obviously with with him being the number one running back in the class, everyone in the country would love to add the number one running back. So certainly not a lock to Ohio State, but you do have to like their chances just given how much time and effort they put into him. But this is probably one of those recruitments that will come down to the wire, come down to the end. I haven't seen anything coming out that he's he's anywhere close to making a decision. I'm sure this will be something to watch as the summer goes on and as the season plays out, the actual football season itself. So. Uh, certainly not anything to look for in the in the immediate future, but definitely a name to keep an eye on in the long run of things. Uh, the last guy I have here on my list of five stars, and that certainly doesn't mean it's the last five star on Ohio State's board, but certainly the last guy that you know we've heard a ton about uh, over the last couple weeks and months is is cornerback AJ Harris, who I, I think at this point is a real long shot after Kerry Combs's exit. He's a five star corner at Alabama, the number three corner in the class, and the number nineteen player overall. Uh, Tim Walton has built a relationship with him, but he seems to really like Kerry Combs, and I think he was a guy that was kind of his his Ohio State connect. He did add Cincinnati to his top schools immediately once Combs got there. He's got two crystal balls to Georgia. I don't really see Ohio State coming out on top on this one, but I've been surprised before. But this would be, of all the guys we mentioned, this would be the most shocking to me if he did end up in Columbus. I just think that, you know, Kerry Combs was kind of his guy in Columbus, and now that he's gone, I don't think he has... He, I mean, you know, Tim Walton is, is trying his best, but I just don't think that there's enough time to kind of make a new relationship there to beat out schools like Georgia or potentially even a Cincinnati. Again, I'm in a similar place with you. I do think A.J. Harris is a long shot. I liked their chances a lot more when Kerry Combs was here. But... Um, you know, Harris has spoken highly enough of Ohio State. He has this pre-existing relationship. They've been going after him for quite a while. So I'm not going to say they're out of it. I think they just have a smaller chance than most. But another really good corner, another guy who's physical at the line, he can tackle really well for a, an outside boundary cornerback. So I like a lot about his game. But This is another guy. All the big schools are after him. It's kind of funny that he plays in Alabama, and I've seen crystal balls for Georgia and Clemson and not Alabama. So I don't know how hard they're going after him. You would have to imagine they're going to be in it until the end. But I think that there is a lot of attention on Harris right now. I think a lot of those big schools, like I said, are after him. And the Combs loss hurt Ohio State. Uh, you know, there's really no two ways around it. And they had his family and the Ohio State staff had maybe kind of sort of lost contact, but that was due to maybe a recruiting dead period. You talked about this on a previous pod. So there are a lot, a lot of things working against Ohio State, but I do think that they have a puncher's chance if they can stay in good contact, stay in his top five or 10 list and make some inroads with Tim Walton and or Perry Aliano. Yeah, and I think with a lot of these defensive guys, if Ohio State could kind of put out a proof of concept this season that yes. this Jim yep. Knowles system with Perry Alano, Tim Alton, if that all works out, I think that they'll 
be a lot higher in the eyes of a lot of these defensive recruits because they have to, you know, they don't want to come to a school. Maybe they do want to come to the school and, and play for a number 120 defense and try to turn things around. But I think that, you know, if could, they could show some significant improvement on the field, the Buckeyes this year, I think it'll go a long way in the eyes of some of these defensive recruits, especially in the secondary where Ohio State has struggled for a few years now. So I do think that'll go a long way. But Josh, that's kind of, that's the end of my list in terms of five stars and, and different uh, interesting scenarios. I kind of just have a, a mishmash of names here the rest of the way. So is there anybody you would like to talk about here that's that's on your big board, per se? Well, the only other five-star guy I had was Cormani McLean. He's the number three overall recruit. He's the top corner in this class. He's out of Florida. Last thing I saw, he had Ohio State in his top five. He said in January at uh, like one of these All-American Bowl practices that he would like to get to Ohio State for a visit. And there were rumors of a March visit. I don't know where that's at right now, but he's the real deal, man. The number one corner in the class, good size. He's 6'1", 190, if I'm not mistaken. He has something like 19 interceptions in the last two years. So a really good, versatile, just kind of strong overall corner. He is probably another long shot. He That's where I had him on my list, but number one corner in the class and a guy who has mentioned Ohio state, that's another guy that I hope that they at least continue to make an effort for. And I'm sure that they will, but he's a really good corner. And right now it's probably between Alabama and Florida, like his two favorites. But again, I mentioned he has said Ohio state's in his top five. Maybe he can get, he can get up here with a, uh, for a visit and, sort of fall in love with Ohio State, a school that he's not yet super familiar with. And maybe you get him a relationship with a Tim Walton or a Perry Aliano, something like that. But it's definitely going to take some work to get him out of Florida into Columbus. Yeah, Ohio State included in his top five alongside Alabama, Florida, Miami, Michigan, and then, of course, the Buckeyes. Uh, like you said, just a really, really good corner. He's getting, you know, according to Andrew Evans, the Southeast recruiting analyst, uh, he's already given him a first-round NFL projection, comparing him to Greedy Williams of the Cleveland Browns, who is obviously a very good corner in both college and in the NFL. Uh, so so a really, really good player. And obviously, you know, as a five-star, the number one cornerback in the country, you'd expect nothing less. Another Florida guy. And yeah, not a name, like you said, that we've heard a ton of connection with Ohio State. Still a lot of time in this class. Still things could change. Does seem like Alabama and Florida are the current leaders, but who knows in recruiting things could happen. Weird things happen all the time. So definitely worth a name worth you know mentioning, especially if there is some momentum towards Ohio State. That would be a huge get. Ohio State hasn't really landed that 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 number one corner, that five-star guy in the last few classes. So it would be nice to have a guy like that in the back end of your defense. Um, the guy I wanted to talk about here, and kind of a guy that's come up recently, is linebacker Tackett Curtis. And this is a guy that seems to be really Jim Knowles' guy at linebacker. This is the guy he's zoned in on ever since his time at Oklahoma State. He had he had huge interest of him when he was down there. He brought that same interest with him to Columbus. He, he basically told Curtis that, you know, it's, this, it's the same idea, same interest, just with a different logo. He's a four-star linebacker out of Louisiana, the number six linebacker in the class, number 65 player overall. Uh, Knowles himself made two trips to see him this January. Uh, according to an interview with 11 Warriors, that uh, Knowles told Curtis that he wants to build the defense around him at the Mike linebacker spot. Uh, Curtis himself told 11 Warriors that OSU was one of his favorites. So it does seem like Ohio State has a really good chance here. Jim Knowles has been working on this relationship for quite a while now at, at two different schools, so it really shows his interest in a guy like Tackett Curtis. He has a whopping 45 offers, which and but it would be a, a rare recruiting win for Ohio State in the state of Louisiana. They don't generally go down there and, and win many battles, but seems to be one they have uh, a pretty good shot at. Seems to be mutual interest on both sides, so we'll have to see how it plays out. But definitely a guy that Jim Knowles himself has has really keyed in on. And it seems like you know him Knowles himself is probably more hands on on fixing the defense than he is in the recruiting game. But when he when he wants a guy, he he seems to be going hard after him. And uh, Curtis seems to be that guy. Yeah, he has clearly identified him, and you would think that it means quite a bit to any player. Uh, but hopefully to attack it, Curtis, that this new defensive coordinator with the linebacker background has targeted you as the guy that he wants. It seems like he is at the very, very top of Jim Knowles's list. So again, another guy that I like what I've seen from him seems like a traditional Mike type linebacker, but he can get all over the field. He has good instincts. He could maybe be a, uh, quarterback on the defense sort of guy. And 
I don't want to cut you off if you have anything else on Curtis, but I had him written down as sort of a, a combo of linebackers that I'm interested in with another guy, unless you had anything else to add on Tackett Curtis. No, go ahead. So I, I had kind of put him in combination with Troy Bowles. Troy Bowles is a, uh, gosh, he's a Florida guy. He's the son of NFL head coach Todd Bowles. He, from what I had seen, was at one time considered an Ohio State lean but he was also an Al Washington guy. So I don't know if he is still leaning in that direction. I do know that Notre Dame just recently offered him, but he's a more of an outside guy. He's the number four linebacker in this class. Good speed, makes plays all over, uh, can get his hands on the ball. I think he had a couple interceptions this last season. I'm just excited about the pedigree and the profile of Troy Bowles. He's listed at 6'1", 205, so it almost seems he's a little bit undersized, but if you put him in a more like conventional outside role where he can roam the field, I think he could be a really useful player, and you know, who knows? Jim Knowles is crazy. He has all these different ideas and schemes. Maybe he sees him as like some supersized safety because he does have really good speed. So, in general, I just like that inside-outside combination of Tackett Curtis and Troy Bowles. So I wanted to bring him up. Like I said, I just, without Washington leaving the program, I don't know where he's leaning right now, but he clearly had or has some interest in Ohio State, and he would be another good get to put in the middle of the field. Yeah, I wouldn't even say that Bowles was a lean for Ohio State. I would say at one point in his recruiting, he was almost a lock to Ohio State, especially like you said with Al Washington here early in the summer and stuff. He went to a couple camps at Ohio State, seemed like he was almost on the verge of committing. Uh, He received crystal balls last summer from both Steve Wolfong and Bill Kerlick, who do both have their crystal balls still in favor of Ohio State. But both of his more recent crystal balls coming in the end of uh, of January of this year were in favor of Georgia. So it seems like he's kind of undecided still at this point. Like you said, the son of uh, former head coach Todd Bowles. I believe Todd Bowles is now with the Buccaneers, if I'm not mistaken. But wherever he is, he's still in the NFL coaching somewhere. So he has that football background. Like you said, also, you know, having an outside linebacker to mix with your inside linebacker brings in a good combo. Having both of those guys in the same class. So Troy Bowles is definitely uh, an interesting prospect to keep an eye on. We don't really know where he's at. You know, obviously Al Washington is now at at Notre Dame, but he is coaching a different position. So it's interesting to see how how that relationship kind of goes. But yeah, definitely a guy who at one point looked like he was going to be an Ohio State commit and now is more up in the air. Uh, So we'll have to see how that one plays out. Uh, as is the case with a lot of these guys. I don't have a ton more uh, on, a, on a deep specifics, but I do have a, a couple guys here just, just to mention uh, that I think are worth bringing up. Uh, the first guy I have here is Derek LeBlanc. Not a guy we've heard a ton about uh, in terms of Ohio State. He's a four-star defensive lineman out of Florida, the number 12 defensive lineman and the number 86 player overall. He's got 42 offers. All the big names are in on him. Uh, and interesting enough, both of his crystal balls are in favor of Ohio State. He's got one from Steve Wolfong, and the latest came just last week from a Florida State insider. So it seems like a guy who is a bit leaning Ohio State, even though we haven't heard a ton about him. And, and you know, we know Larry Johnson did a great job on the defensive line in the last cycle, bringing in a, a handful of guys. He'd like to repeat and bring in even more depth this year. So maybe getting a guy like LeBlanc would be a good start for that. Uh, another D line with an Ohio State crystal ball I have listed here is AJ Hoffler, a four star prospect from Georgia. So, uh, you know, LJ going down to the South and getting some guys to, you know, potentially lean towards Ohio State. It looks like they're, you know, in at least good shape for now with those two guys. Uh, Will Fong also had a crystal ball for him back in uh, back in November. So another guy with with Ohio State crystal balls. And the last guy I have on my list here is four-star offensive tackle Chase Basantis. We know Justin Fry's been hitting the ground hard on the offensive line since he got to Ohio State. He seems like he's been recruiting really well. Basantis is out of New Jersey, a place that Ohio State's done pretty well for themselves. Uh, he's a good kind of a versatile offensive guard, offensive tackle kind of player. Could play either one, switch in and out. Listed at six foot five, two ninety, but has the frame to add size. So those are just kind of like a rapid fire three names to look out for on on a more of a national scale, on on both the trenches. Uh, Josh, do you have any other guys, or do you, did you want to add anything on any of those guys? Do you have any guys that aren't on my list that you have uh, on yours? Uh, I have one other guy, but to add on to the the names that you brought up. I, I think that Chase Pisantis has a ton of potential, and I think to bring in another high-end offensive lineman would be a big get for Justin Fry. He could really hit the ground running. So, you know, I, it's, it's like I wish we still had, uh, gosh, Rutgers coach escaping me right now. Greg Schiano. Yeah, you know, Schiano, he may have been, um, Pisantis may have been a lock by now if Shiano was still here with those New Jersey ties. But um, another guy I'm going to keep my eye on, LeBlanc, 
The one thing that I like about him is he's already coached mixed size. He's 6'4", 270. They might leave him alone, which I know is something that you've sort of been harping on. He's already got that prerequisite Ohio State defensive end size. So he's a guy who could be interesting. The only other name I had written down was Keith Sampson. He's a defensive lineman out of New Bern, North Carolina. He has Ohio State in his top five right now with some, (coughs) excuse me, um, ACC schools plus South Carolina. He has Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina State, South Carolina, like I said, and Ohio State in his top five. 6'3", 285, good size. You know, maybe add 10 to 15 pounds. He could be that Tyleek Williams type. Definitely an interior guy. But he's another one that I will have my eyes on. He's right now ranked as the 28th overall defensive lineman and the 206th recruit. So just another name. I think that a lot of the guys that we've mentioned here in the latter half of the pod are just names to monitor and keep an eye on. I do think that Ohio State will start to gain momentum. We've talked about the coaching turnover. It's just going to be a matter of time. They need to build relationships with these recruits. And like I said, towards the beginning of this conversation, I'm not concerned about having five guys in right now. There's a ton of time. There are 2022 recruits who have still not officially signed. So we've got all the time in the world to shore this class up. And based on recent history, you know, it's going to be good at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, I, like I brought up before, you know, the play on the field of Ohio State, I think, could go a long way this year. See them kind of bounce back on the defensive end, maybe keep up doing what they're doing on offense, if not improve a little bit. I know it'd be hard to improve based on what, what's left, but, you know, there's obviously a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball as well to keep doing what they did last year. So I think, you know, if Ohio State plays really well this season, wins the Big Ten, goes to the playoff, I think that obviously goes a long way in, in the recruiting game. But yeah, you know, it, it was it was always going to be a, a slow start to this class with all the coaching turnover. I think they've done a good job at the start of addressing their needs early on, building from in-state and then moving out as Ryan Day tends to do. And I, and I think there's really no cause for concern. I think they're in on a lot of really, really talented players. They're going to wind up with, you know, probably a top five class as they usually do. I'm not really concerned in that regard. And I think that there's a lot of talent across the board still to be had. Like you said, we're we're a full year away from the National Signing Day. We're still kind of wrapping up 2022, not fully done with that. Ohio State's obviously fully done with that, but they're not not as a whole in the country. So a lot, a lot of time. Uh, and a lot of names that we probably didn't mention that will wind up at Ohio State, a lot of names we mentioned that won't end up at Ohio State, but that is kind of just the way of the road in the recruiting game, I guess. For sure. And I think that, you know, I think about the defensive lineman and Larry Johnson. He seems, he's very old school, right? I, I Clearly he's establishing his relationships, but if there's a coach out there that I'm not, there are multiple coaches on Ohio State staff that I'm not worried about. But when it comes to Larry Johnson, I mean, he's just been doing it for so long He's so consistent. And the fact that we don't have, we have Will Smith Jr. in the fold right now, but the fact that we don't have like a four or five star guy on the defensive line yet is probably the least concerning thing that I have because Larry Johnson is just going to continue to do what he has done for the last couple of decades. And then a guy like Brian Hartline, whose record speaks for itself you know that a couple of positions are going to be taken care of. It's just those new coaches and the building of new relationships that needs to happen. And I think that'll happen more and more. You probably made the best point though. They need proof of concept. They need need proof of success from these new coaches. So if that offensive line and that secondary, if they play well, linebackers too, if those positions play well, even better than they did last year in certain respects, then these guys are going to start to come into the fold, I would say, pretty quickly. I, I could see this coming on, you know, getting recruits and commitments in clusters as they get more familiar with these new Ohio State coaches. Yeah, I mean, especially with Ohio State starting the season off at Notre Dame, it's obviously going to be a big primetime national TV event. I'm sure that a lot of recruits will be there. Uh, for that game and stuff like that. So there, there's a lot lot to still be hashed out here as things go on. But yeah, I think, you know, all these coaches on Ohio State staff have proven track records both on the recruiting trail or with development if they don't have a ton of recruiting with a guy like, you know, Tim Walton, who has been in, in college for for many years. Uh, but I'm, I'm not concerned. And I think that, you know, obviously we will be back here with more when, when players recruit, when there's when players commit, I mean, uh, when there's more info on certain guys. I'm sure there'll be a lot of recruiting talk as the offseason carries on. 
We're coming up here on, on spring camp shortly. Uh, the March Madness is obviously about to get underway as well as the Big Ten tournaments. So we'll have more basketball content. And there, there's a lot going on in the land of Ohio State. And as we sit here at, at 644 on Monday, I still don't have an answer on my baseball season. But nonetheless, um, uh, that that's about it for us. Josh, you have anything else to add before we get out of here? No, I'm excited for what we have coming up. You know, the, there isn't a ton going on that we normally hit on when it comes to football and recruiting and things like that. But we do have spring practice coming up and I'm looking forward to getting in, like digging into some stuff that we don't normally bring up as far as, you know, March Madness, NFL draft, things like that. So the content's coming. It's just a matter of time before it all shakes loose. Absolutely. And with that being said, you know, be sure to follow all of our stuff at Land Grant Holy Land. We will be covering all of, obviously, the men's and women's basketball tournaments, uh, as well as recruiting all that good stuff and anything that comes up with uh, with Ohio State sports in general. So uh, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, and for Josh Julie, I am Gene Ross. And as always, go Bucks.